If you're a hardworking professional struggling to reach financial freedom, I would like to help you out as much as I can in a free 15-minute strategy call. When I started investing in real estate in 2009, there were no resources for high-paid W-2 workers like myself. I wish someone who knew what to do and had the same pedigree as me told me what to do at the starting line. As I wind down the year, as a limited-time holiday gift, I would like to connect with you to give you a free strategy session. Open to new members to the Hui Do Pipeline Club. Book here at simplepassivecashflow.com slash talk. Hey guys, I just wrapped up seeing a few of you in Huntsville, Dallas recently. Great to see everybody and hope to see everybody in 2020. To check out future and past events, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash events. Now this podcast is going to be a replay of a webinar we did for the Hui Deal Pipeline Club recently, talking about infinite banking, where I brought on my buddy Chris Miles back. If you're more of a visual person, and in this case, want to see the side-by-side numbers of two policies and fee structure, subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we will be giving away a free e-course subscription for YouTube subscribers there. I'll also post this webinar at my banking info page at simplepassivecashflow.com banking. And if you would like to see how I use this strategy to manage my liquidity to invest in deals, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash OFUN. Aloha. This is a story about a dude named Lane. And one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. The last three years, I use it as a way to store short term and medium term liquidity as I wait for a syndication deal to come out. Um, I make a nice little yield doing it. Uh, it's tax favorable and it's off the table of litigators. Chris and I are very different, right? Like we explain things very differently. So hopefully, you know, if I've explained it before, maybe you, you didn't under, quite understand it. Hopefully Chris can um, explain it in a different way. But this is something that a lot of wealthy people do. If your net worth is under, I would say, a quarter million dollars, this probably ain't for you. I mean, you probably need to put every penny that you got to an investment, like in a single family home, just to get started. I'll let you take it away, Chris. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it, Lane. And uh, yeah, so today I really want to talk to you guys about, again, this infinite bank concept. I'm sure several of you guys have even heard of this, or at least uh, some of you guys might even be doing this. Um, but I definitely take a different angle on it. Um, I come much more from an investor perspective than, than what you'll see most people talk about this sort of concept with. Because sadly, I mean, most of the time you hear people talk about are just insurance agents, right? You know, people are just trying to sell you a policy. And they think of it like this long-term thing, you know, something that you have to save up for many years. Uh, but my experience, I mean, I've been a financial advisor or, as you can see here, an anti-financial advisor for the last uh, 18 years. First four of those years, I was the traditional mainstream financial advisor that totally sucked. Um, basically told you to buy, uh, buy mutual funds, don't buy real estate because real estate doesn't really grow and you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was bull crap. Like it, when, I, when I saw the real evidence, I realized that none of that stuff works. And that's why I keep pounding all the time. I do like my podcast on the Chris Miles Money Show and stuff is, hey, like this alternative investments, the stuff that Lane's teaching you is absolutely legit. It's seriously the only way. When I've run the numbers, you know, really honestly, it's the only way you're going to be able to have any hope of retirement or financial freedom. You can't get it from saving in 401ks and mutual funds. So in 2006, I actually left that industry. I was like, I'm done. I will never teach about money again. I'm out of here. I'll just teach ballroom dancing and, uh, and I'll do mortgages. 
So I did that for a time, but I was able to retire myself in 2006. Now I was 28 years old. And, uh, and, and in the process, part of the way I was able to do that is I met other millionaires. I met guys that were in real estate, they were doing other things and they were actually getting real results. And, uh, and even though I had been life insurance licensed before, I had never heard of doing this whole infinite banking concept. Um, and as time went on, not only did I learn how to do it better, um, but I even learned how to do it better than even how pe people that call themselves infinite bankers do it because they're always thinking long-term, put your money in here, grow it forever, and then maybe you can retire off it. And the truth is you can't retire off. There's really nothing that a financial advisor can offer you that will help you retire, whether it's IRAs, whether it's you know, mutual funds, life insurance, doesn't matter. You will never be able to retire using those things. Um, so this was kind of a, a concept that started to develop and, and perfect to the point where this becomes like a really high cash, high returning type of supercharged savings account, tax-free savings account we'll talk about. I forgot to point this out. Like, I think as simple passive cash flow listeners, when you hear life insurance, your, your hair should stick up at the back of your neck and you should already get this uh, queasy feeling because yeah, most times when people are trying to sell life insurance, it's a kind of a scam. I mean, it's yeah. what your slimy uh, buddy that you met in college or high school that you haven't seen in six years calls you up, wants to take you to lunch. Um, what we're talking about today, yeah, it's life insurance, but the whole reason why we're using life insurance is because there's a little loophole that's not taxed, why it's a technique that I like to use. You know, I definitely got to give kudos to you too, Lane, because I mean, for example, I mean, I, was, I went through the recession. I went from millionaire to upside down millionaire, right? And then I came back out of it and I was able to re retire again three years ago. And, uh, and uh, once again, you know, due to you and then our mutual friend, Buck Joffrey, Buck was like bugging the crap out of me to say, Hey, Chris, you got to teach this stuff. Cause the guy you referred me to that does the insurance, he's kind of, I don't know. He's just not cool. Like he just doesn't explain it. Well, you've done the best job. How do I get you out of retirement? And it was actually because of you and him, I actually came out of retirement to teach some of this stuff. And, uh, and even find out ways to do it better, you know? So, so yeah, we're talking about double arbitrage, right? We're talking about how do we get our money to pay us twice? So the big thing, again, I talk about is acceleration, not accumulation. It's not about just trying to save up money and build and grow it over five bazillion years. It's about how do we create speed with our money? How do we create cash flow with it? And the thing is like everybody in the financial industry, they don't get it. I mean, you got your Dave Ramsey's out there telling you, hey, basically let your life suck forever. And then someday you might actually have some sort of freedom, right? Um, and I'm not espousing that at all. You know, they don't, they don't understand it. And they definitely don't understand what I'm going to teach you because uh, he's teaching you kind of what Lane just said about the slimy people, how they do it. He'll say whole life, for example, is horrible. And that's because he's talking about the slimy stuff that's out there. There's good ways to do it and there's bad ways to do it. And definitely he doesn't get it. But banks have been using this for years and decades. They get it. They've been doing it. You know, these, I mean, for example, I remember in the recession when they started reporting their numbers, uh, banks like Washington Mutual, for example, they had about 42% of their assets being held within life insurance policies in the cash value. I remember Wells Fargo was about 25%. I mean, Chase Bank had a good chunk of their money in there too. So this is not a new strategy. Um, but the cool thing is the way I do it, it's definitely more supercharged than the typical way. Now, here's a basic concept I want you to understand. So let's kind of go away from life insurance for a second and talk about leverage, right? Like there's, there's really two ways to use money. Either you use cash or you borrow it, right? So either you're going to borrow money from somebody else or you're going to use your own cash. Here's the key thing you got to understand. You're always, 
paying interest always. Now we all know that of course, when you borrow money, like you borrow from a bank, you're paying interest to them. But what about when you pay cash? Why is their interest being paid there? Well, the way that happens is because when you pay cash for something, you've lost the ability to earn any interest on that money. So when you say you pull it out of a savings account, it's not making money in that savings account anymore. So hopefully you're putting in that investment, whether it's with Lane or wherever it is, you're putting that money in that investment and then that's kicking off a return. But again, you're not making money over here just on that investment. So the whole thing we're talking about here is how can you make money there and here at the same time? How can you make money twice? So let's talk about compound interest versus simple interest because you understand this concept. One, this will blow your mind from an investor perspective. You will no longer ever want to do the whole Dave Ramsey method ever again with paying off your debts the same way. You know, I'm, I'm totally cool with paying off debts that don't serve you. Um, but when you realize about leverage and how it all works, it, it will blow your mind. So from an investor perspective, this is awesome, but also help you understand it from a life insurance perspective too. But there's two types of interest. So let's talk about a mortgage. Say you have a mortgage that's 300,000 bucks and you have it at four and a quarter percent. It's a 30 year mortgage. If you pay the minimum payment on this mortgage for the next 30 years, it will cost you 231,000 of interest. So not double. Some people say, yeah, you'll pay twice as much in interest as your mortgage. No, no you won't. No, that's not even close. The exact number here is 231,000. And actually I think I rounded up a little bit. So 231,000 you'll pay in interest over those 30 years. Now, aside from people trying to throw little bits and pieces when they try to pay extra principal to their mortgage, that doesn't do anything to save you any interest. You save very little throwing extra payment to your mortgage. Your best bet is if you have $300,000 in cash today to pay off that mortgage now to save that $231,000. That is your best case scenario for saving on the interest side. So let's just assume that you do have $300,000 in different assets that you could use, liquidate, to pay off your mortgage now. Now, if you had that money, you could pay off your mortgage, save the 231000 But what if you didn't? What if you actually instead took the 300000 you could use to pay off your mortgage and instead invest it? And let's just say you invested in a crappy CD, right? Earning 2%, just 2%. Now, this is where I want you guys to use a little chat feature here. I want you guys to make a guess here. If the interest rate, the interest you pay over 30 years on a mortgage at 4.25% is $231,000 interest, what do you think you'll earn over 30 years on $300,000 saved in a CD? What do you think you'll earn in interest on that? So go ahead and just put this in. We'll make it like price is right, right? So go ahead and just type in a little chat toss. He says 425,000. Jay says negative crap. Don't know what that means. But we have right. an interesting crowd here. <laughs> I think that's Jay's way of saying, you know, price is right version, saying $1, right? He's just trying to get the low bid. 175 from Jennifer. You got 100,000, Gene. So again, 2% over 30 years on 300,000. All right, you guys ready for this? I'm going to make sure that this is not frozen here. All right, here it is. 2%, bucks is what it is. Now, if you remember, 4.25% on that mortgage was costing you 231,000 over 30 years. But even earning less than half the interest, only 2% interest, you earned $243,000 on top. So you basically made an extra 12,000 bucks by making less than half the interest rate. Now, a lot of people would be like, whoa, whoa, what? Like, how is that even, ha how is that even possible? How does that even work? And I think some of you guys get it because you guys just made some guesses that are all over the place here, right? This is where it comes down to. When you keep your money in savings, when it's there in savings, it compounds on itself. 
When you pay on a loan, like when you pay principal and interest on a mortgage, it's simple interest. They are not the same interest rate. There are two very different calculations. Another way to look at it visually is like this. The green section of this is, is the compound interest. It's kind of like this, this curve, exponential curve that goes up like this, right? But when you pay, when you pay on a loan, it's, some people say, yeah, they, they screw us on the, on the numbers here. Like they, they charge us all the interest in the beginning. They seriously do not do anything like that. All they're doing is just simple math. But when you pay a payment, obviously most of it goes to interest in the beginning and, and some goes to principal. But as you keep paying that balance down, you still have the same interest rate, but less and less is being charged in interest. That's why there more and more goes to principal over time. You have this inverse effect where the exponential goes down over time. So that's what happened. That's why you don't have this massive compounding number of interest on four and a quarter percent when you pay on a mortgage. But when you let it grow and compound, that's where it's different. Now, here's where it gets fun, guys. What if you earn the same interest rate? $745,000. You basically netted an extra half a million dollars by making the same interest rate. $745,000 on four and a quarter percent, right? We keep going 10%. So I know, Lane, you try to get things that give you an, an IRR above this even. But think of this. Even just $300,000 in 30 years, 10% compounded makes you about $5 bucks. At 15%, almost $20 million. Do you really think you give a crap about the $231,000 that you pay anymore if you could be making about $20 million off that money? Why wouldn't we want to leverage as much as we can from the bank? Which, by the way, this is what I try to do, especially when it's cheap money, is I rather leverage the bank as much as I can, and then I use cash for the things I can't leverage the bank for, right? So even if you get nothing else out of this, just knowing that how you use your money how ca paying cash for things can actually create a greater loss opportunity cost than anything. Because if you pay that mortgage off, you just lost about $20 million of interest. This is the argument where people are saying, well, if you buy a house and that house appreciates 3% every year, which it doesn't, yeah. but you compare it to what if you invested it at a 10, 15, 20% IR, and this is what mm -hmm. you're, you compare it to. So you need to think like an investor and think, in terms of opportunity loss costs. That's exactly it. Like when I was a financial advisor, the traditional mainstream guy, I remember I'd show the charts, right? The charts that show the stock market graph compared to inflation, compared to real estate prices. I'd say, well, look at real estate. If they asked me about real estate, I'd say, well, look at that. It's barely keep up with inflation. It sucks. You know, look at the stock market, you know, all over the place. It's bipolar, right? But hey, it's averaged since 2000 BC, 10 or 12% returns, which is not true. The stock market has only averaged a real rate of return of 7.5% over the last 30 years. You know, but when you look at averages, you can, you, know, you can kind of manipulate the numbers a little bit. So, but even then, heck, even if you did happen to average 7.5%, point still is, yes, you can make way more than the debt you're paying. Now, why am I bringing this whole compound simple interest thing up is because Life insurance uses this strategy. This is exactly when I understood this concept, why life insurance made sense to use rather than my own savings account. Because then I realized, wait a minute, I can make way more money using this and using it almost like a, a HELOC that pays me interest. Or another way to look at it, it's like a Roth IRA with no limits, right? Um, so I use high cash value whole life. I use this as a difference because Again, whole life insurance can be designed a variety of different ways based on how the insurance guy or woman will design it. I go for the max cash ROI possible in a policy that allows you to be able to have quickest access to money to go and invest it 
because that is the only way to create freedom is be able to invest that in other places. But by using life insurance versus a savings account, now we get a different story because when I borrow from a life insurance policy, really what I'm doing is I'm borrowing from the insurance company. The money's still in there growing and compounding the full amount. While I'm borrowing from the insurance company at a certain interest rate, I'm getting paid. Whereas savings, if I withdraw from savings, I've lost the ability to earn interest and then I have to creep it up slowly over time by adding more money into it. And then I earn almost no interest. And I'll kind of show you what that looks like with the numbers here in a second. So I call it my supercharged savings account, right? It's my supercharged tax-free savings account. All I'm doing is I'm doing the same strategy you would have done with your money anyways, but I just add one little extra step. So where most people just take their money, they put it into the investment, they get cash flow, and then that cash flow goes back into their checking or savings account to build up to reinvest again, right? Same exact strategy, but I use my life insurance instead to build that cash. So instead, I'm, put, I'm taking the money from my checking or savings, putting it into my policy. Now, granted, the, if there's ever a negative with this is that in those first two years, there are costs to that insurance. You'll see a net cost to your money. Nice thing is after year three on, there's, no, there's essentially zero net cost of your insurance. You make more in dividends than what it costs you. So it feels like it's free insurance at that point. But those first two years, there's some costs coming out. Usually in the first year, the most expensive year, I can get at least 75% of cash in there while 25% is going to insurance costs. So I put money into the policy. I then take a loan from the insurance company. I can take a withdrawal too, just like a savings account. But I'm going to do it as a loan because I want that compound interest working for me. So I take it as a loan from the insurance company. It's a separate loan. There's no minimum monthly payment. So it's not like a HELOC where say you go do a, a real estate project. It takes six months before you get paid into cash on it. You, you're going to have those issues of, of that, you know, of having to make payments while you're earning no money. You don't have that issue here. They'll charge you interest, but there's no minimum monthly payments required. In fact, there's not even a balloon payment required on this until your death. So your, your death is the deadline to pay off the loan, which they just take out of your death benefit anyways. I'm super excited about a new program I'm rolling out that's going to reinvent scammy real estate education programs. So excited, like Marine Kondo cleaning stuff up excited. Announcing my new mastermind program which consists of a closed member site with 27 packed weeks of content, plus bi-weekly group video conference calls to ask whatever. Half of the calls will be centered around granular investing tactics and the other half will be holistic wealth building strategies that I have learned from the wealthy. That's 25 plus hours of group coaching and masterminding. And a secret Facebook group too. I know what you're thinking. Not another flippin' Facebook group. Well, this one's gonna be different. More intimate, exclusive, and no cheapskates or shady vendors in it. I've been coaching individual clients over the past couple years and I figured out what you guys need and a way to provide it in a cost-effective way. Learn more, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash journey and join before the first cohort fills up and the introductory pricing goes away. So anyways, I borrow from the, from the insurance company. They give me a loan about 5%. I use that. I create arbitrage of that money. I go and invest it. The cash flow from that, I use to pay back towards the line of credit they gave me. And as I do that, that's where that simple interest effect comes in because as I'm paying down more than interest, then I'm actually paying down that loan and actually freeing up more cash to use again. Um, kind of like what you would do with a 401k, but the difference is a 401k is that you can only have one loan at a time. With life insurance, I can have dozens of loans out at the same time. It doesn't matter. It's all based on balances. I can borrow 95% of whatever cash is in my policy. I can borrow and use however the heck I want. So that's the basic concept around it. 
Uh, by the way, it's also at the same time, like I said, because I'm borrowing from the insurance company, the full amount of money is in there earning dividends. So say, for example, you've got $100,000, you borrow 50000 out of it. If you were to just withdraw 50000 from savings, you're only earning interest on 50000 bucks. But in life insurance, I'm earning interest on the full $100,000. Now, there's the interest being charged against me. By the way, here's the myth. This is the key myth. I, I think somebody even had this question from before this, this webinar here. But uh, some people think, well, I'm just paying myself back interest, right? So I should just leverage this and just pay myself back interest. That is false. You do not pay yourself back interest. This is a line of credit. Just like with any bank, you are paying interest to an institution at you know 5%, it's a low rate, but you are paying them interest. So it's not paying yourself interest like some of the people out there will try to teach you to sell you on this crap. That's not true. The truth is, even with truth, even with this whole situation, you still come out way farther ahead, right? Um, so just so you know, you do not pay yourself interest. You just pay back however much money you want. You pay at least interest-only payments. You keep it as simple interest. It doesn't compound against you. And that's where you win because you're earning those tax-free dividends at the same time while you're making money on your investments and, and cycling it through. Chris, when, you, um, when yeah. you're borrowing from your 401k and you're paying – they say paying yourself interest. Is that really paying yourself interest or is that? No, they'll, they'll pay you interest on, on the money that's being borrowed. They'll pay like a set interest rate or whatever. Oh, when, 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 you, when you're borrowing against your 401k loan and you have to yeah. pay interest, are you paying that to yourself? Is that to in the sense or? Technically, yes. Um, like they'll, they'll kind of like credit back the interest to you is what, what happens. So they charge you interest and then credit it back as you're paying it back in. Right. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like universal life insurance. It's like you kind of credit back, but it's not really, it's like becomes almost like a 0% loan in a sense when you factor it all in. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, so key points here, it's tax-free. So this money you put in with after-tax dollars, just like a Roth IRA, it grows tax-free and it could come out tax-free. So that's one key point. Number two, I think it's really important. It's protected from creditors and lawsuits. In most states, there is, there is no limitation to the amount of protection that's in here. So if somebody sues you and wins, even if they win on that lawsuit and they, are, they can get money from you, they can access almost any of your assets. They can access, you know, they can put a lien on your home to a certain level. They can take out money from your IRAs. They can access your savings accounts, just about anything. But with life insurance, they cannot access it at all. Even if you're a millionaire with million several million dollars saved up in this life insurance, they cannot access it in most states. Other states like California, it's limited protection. You got at least a quarter million protected in there. Um, so some of the states where they tend to be more liberal, they tend to give less protection. But in over 30 of the states, it's an unlimited amount of protection that you have in there. Um, guaranteed growth, it's guaranteed to grow regardless. There's no stock market rides or anything like that. There's no stupid limits or penalties. So there's no 10% penalty for early withdrawal. Like I said, you can access the money whenever you want. There is no 59 and a half rule. There's no limit. Like even if you pay your own 401k, right? If you're a business owner and you, you pay your own 401k with the match and you're maxing it out or a SEP IRA, you're maxing out to about 50 grand a year. You don't get capped on this. You, I, we've got investor friends that are doing a half million a year into this. Some are doing 10,000 a year. I mean, you can do it however the heck you want. Um, plus, by the way, just as an extra bonus, I build it with flexibility. So you have a max, but you also have a minimum. So there's like a window, a space you can do. Um, bank leverage. I'll talk about that in another example here in a little bit, but there's ways you can use it for, uh, for getting bank loans. 
Um, and then access to cash now, like I talked about, it's about getting that money today. Can we go back to that other slide, Chris? No, I'll yeah, kind of right run over it the way I, I look at it, like, you know, just yeah. radiate the same thing. So tax-free, here's how I do it. Um, I don't know, like, what, what does my policy pay me, like 4% or something like that? So I don't pay taxes on it because it's via my life insurance policy. Is that the right, right. way of explaining it, Chris? Because yeah, exactly. of a, a loophole, or a, not a loophole, but like the way tax code is written, it's not tax. Yeah, they, they pay you dividends, but they also pay you return or premium. So it's like a rebate. Um, and so with the tax laws, it's very similar to a Roth IRA. They keep it tax-free. So yeah, any dividends you earn inside the policy within it, not from your investments outside. You still get taxed like normal on your other investments. So that's why, you know, like if you're investing with Lane, you want to make sure you share the depreciation stuff because you get some tax breaks. Um, but like with this, yeah, anything inside the policy, the cash that's in there that's growing and get paid dividends every year, that's all growing tax-free. And then you can access it, take it out tax-free as income or later on if you wanted to. Yeah. And then the second point there, guarantee or protected from creditors' lawsuits. That's very similar to how we all sort of know the 401k is mm -hmm. sort of pretty much off the table in terms of litigation. Yep. 401k is the only other place you get that kind of protection. And uh, the guaranteed growth, like, you know, there's not much guaranteed things in life, but the people backing these life insurances are guys from what, the Civil War era? We can talk a little bit. Like, these are like the big companies that invest in the really, really big class A buildings or the, the, those, those huge buildings that are just investing for preservation of capital. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's one thing that's nice. Like, I, I have one company I work with, they started in 1849. And they've paid a dividend every single year since then through all the different depressions and recessions and everything they've paid out every single year, you know? And so uh, it's, it's awesome. I, I usually work with companies that have paid at least a hundred years in a row because I want to make sure that they pay through the, de the great depression and everything, you know? But yeah, I mean, they're investing in their own portfolios. They're buying up, like sometimes they're buying, you know, like mortgages and things like that, different notes. Um, they're buying more stable type things. They'll buy a lot of bonds too, you know, like, government bonds or whatever it might be. They'll buy different stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, they're paying out pretty, pretty regularly, you know, um, right now I know some of those companies are paying between five and 6% right now, tax-free. Right. I mean, we don't, we don't like to say anything as risk-free, right? No. But this is as close to it as I think you can get. Yeah. Uh, probably even better than a bank, right? Yeah. Uh, there's, yeah, they have what they call reinsurance that they buy, that they are required by law to buy, which reinsurance companies are insurance companies that insure an insurance company in case they become insolvent, in case they go out of business. They can make sure that nobody's policies, you know, they don't lose their money or anything. It's, I mean, even from that standpoint, I mean, FDIC, I mean, you hear the numbers, like there's only like 3% of people's total savings that is actually in reserves for the FDIC. So if banks started to shut down like they did in the Great Depression, we'd all be in trouble, right? We would have a hard time getting our money back or with this it's guaranteed that even if a company shuts down the reinsurance companies ensure that either another company can come in and buy them up and your policies stay in force nothing changes or at least they'll pay out the money to you so there's there's yeah i would say better guarantees than even a typical savings account yeah and and then the last point there the access to cash now so if i put in fifty thousand dollars there's some money that goes to fees right away, but there's a big yeah. chunk of that money that I'm going to take out possibly the next day or next few days to go invest in other things. Cause I don't want my money just to sit in here and make 4%. I want 
I want to yeah. make my money, my 4% here and take it somewhere else and maybe stick it in, you know, something like HP and double that on. Yeah. You get the double dip, right? So exactly. Yeah. HP is a great example. That's, I've had lots of clients that do that same strategy. They're like, Hey, I get that guaranteed return. Boom. Make my money on it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's great. And, and again, yeah, you want to keep those fees low and that's, and that's about as low as I can get them. It's usually about, you know, 25% give or take, you know, some more, some less depending on the situation, but um, that's the first year. So like you said, 50,000 bucks, you put it in there, you usually can have access right away at about 37,000. Um, after the cool thing is for the third year, if you put in 50,000 bucks, even that third year, you pretty much have access to 50,000 bucks. It's pretty great. Um, so here I use a real example. I, I use some turnkey properties. I, I took a turnkey provider. I said, Hey, let's use a, a real estate example for, you know, using, comparing savings to using your life insurance, right? So just looking at apples, to apples here. Um, so this one is just saying, Hey, if you had a hundred thousand savings, you liquidated 95,000 to go invest buying an, a single family home and a duplex, the cash flow is 1,070 a month net, right? Um, versus having a hundred thousand in your life insurance, borrowing the 95,000 from the insurance company. So you're full hundred thousand still making money. And you're also taking the cash flow and taking it to, you know, pay down your line of credit. So I compared the two. I said, all right, after nine years, what does it look like? You use your savings account, making 0.2%, by the way, you know, and of course you get taxed on that 0.2, point nothing percent, you know, um, after nine years, you got about 128,000 that that cash flow built it back up to. So that's almost like a getting a, a total of about 1.3% ROI. So really you just made like 1500 bucks in interest over those nine years with that money. Now on the flip side, life insurance side, after nine years, I use my own insurance policy just to use it as an example. 178,000 I had after the same nine years, flowing that money back in and not contributing anymore, just using this simply as the money of flowing the money back through, which is almost like getting on a savings account, like an 8% per year ROI on my savings account. So if you can find an 8% per year savings account that you get taxed on and you can store money and then use it to funnel money in and out, cool. Um, this is what I use instead because I know I will never get 8% on a savings account unless we have astronomically just ridiculous rates. So, so again, that net profit is about 50 grand difference just over those five years. Now think about that. That's 95,000 I used to invest to make an extra 50,000 profit. That's over a 50% more rate of return on my money over those nine years, just by using a different type of savings vehicle in that place. And so again, same thing, using that money, flowing it back through money's flowing in and out. Um, again, you earn dividends and you're still having your cash flowing investments. So that's how you make money twice. Now, uh, I know Lane, this was a specific, specific request from you. You wanted to see, okay, Chris, I want to see you compare with like other infinite bankers versus what you do. I want to compare with IULs and all that kind of stuff. Cause I get a lot of questions on that as well. Yeah. Just for I think you. a lot of people, about half of this group have seen this concept before, but mm -hmm. you know, I think it takes a few times to get it wrapped around your head. But after a while, let's just drop trousers and let's look at the numbers, right? And let's compare. Yeah. It's interesting. I had this woman come to me. She said, Hey, I had this guy run these numbers. It was with the same exact insurance company. This is, this is why it's so important to understand that it's not about um, which company you go with. It's more importantly about who designs it. Cause the problem is most insurance agents, see, I'm, I'm already financially independent. I don't need the money. Like I, I was able to quit. So this for me is just kind of fun, but most insurance agents, this is their livelihood, right? So this, this guy that she went to, this guy I actually know personally, he's good at what he does. He's one of the better infinite bankers. 
But she said, well, how's yours compared to what he would do? I said, well, let me run the same numbers. She was just putting in 10,000 a year, right? His number was that one on the left, I'll just highlight in yellow there, the 69.47 is what, you know, so about 30% or so went, went to cost, the other 70% went in. Mine, there's about an extra 100 bucks or so that went in mine. Cool thing is, is that one, you'll see year six, he drops down the minimum, his is 29.50, mine's 28.74. So I have a lower minimum because I have less cost coming out. And by year seven, he had a, a little under 52,000, while mine had over 60,000. So essentially, by doing the same thing, same company, over those seven years, I save her about 8,000 bucks, which that's now money she can go and invest, right? So, and again, he was one of the better infinite bankers out there, um, a guy that I actually really respect. But I was like, hey, you can still go with him, but he's, he's a good guy. He's honest, but that's the thing is like, I've, I've learned the little tricks to milk out every little dollar I can get out of these to make it less cost, better ROI. Well, that's greed, right? You know, I mean, if you yeah. go back, go back, Chris, um, some, some, yeah. people, some people that are just not uh, familiar to what even this is. So I'll kind of catch people up here. So on the left side, you've got the, the total premiums. That's how much you're putting into this policy. You've got to kind of feed the beast for what, six, seven years or something. Yeah, for seven gotta, years. So you have, to, you have to come to like some kind of design plan where you're going to have to feed this thing $10,000 a year or $50,000 or $100,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in this case, I told Chris, you know, a lot of us are engineers. So we like uh, factors of 10. <laughs> so I tell them they do a 10,000 a year, which is actually a pretty small policy in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. So you put in 10,000 your first year year one, and then your total cash value is almost 7,000 bucks. So that's the amount of value you can the next day pull out and go invest that in whatever you want or pull it out and buy a jet ski with. What, what Chris is kind of talking about here in the first year, you're like, oh, geez, like 3,000 of it went to fees, right? And it's like, yeah, you know, there's, there's a utility value to this type of policy. It's insurance, and that's what you're paying for. But as Chris mentioned earlier, and, and it probably went over people's, some people's heads until you see the numbers here. If you look at the fees are kind of going down. By the year three, your, your fees are what, about 90% or so? Like, well, it's zero. It's actually, zero. you see it's a net positive that uh, change in CV, less premium outlay right there, the far left, right? It's making 436 bucks. Okay right there you know so initially whatever you put in the first year is going to be what like 25 30 percent is going to fee but that that goes down by year two three four five by yeah by year yeah it goes down every year that's the nice thing about whole life is that costs actually decrease over time versus most life insurance where it increases over time because you get older right so this is how we the how we highlighted here is how you compare the fee structure because it's super complicated right until you know, yeah. you know what to look at and you're kind of just looking at, all right, if I put in 10 grand, this is how much my cash value is going to be and how much fees, therefore, it was in the first year. 6947 for them other guys. And yeah. then this other policy on the right, you know, some knee guy here, 7056 Not much difference, but... Um, when yeah, you go seven years out, it definitely adds up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like $8,000 difference over about $8,500 difference right there. 
It's all about design. And and by the way, like this this guy on the left, you know, compared to me on the right, I mean that guy on the left, he 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 wasn't like one of those guys that's trying to screw people over. He he was doing a great job as as, as a you know being an infinite banker. Uh, just so you guys know, in compare contrast even more, a normal whole life policy in those first two years, you'll have probably zero cash value in the first two years if you buy a normal whole life policy, the kind that Dave Ramsey doesn't like, which I would kind of agree with him. You would have zero cash value after two years versus having 15 grand doing it this way, all because we figure out ways to cut costs, which actually just saves you. Um, give you another example. I had a guy that uh, he owns a turnkey company. He was, he was only putting away like a little over 5,000 a year with this other guy was an infinite banker, as he called himself. Um, I knew the guy personally. I told him, I was like, this guy's a schmuck. He's not an infinite banker. This guy's all about the paycheck. Well, after finally, after six years, he said, man, I've been putting, I put in like 36,000 bucks and I'll only have 19,000 in here, right? Uh, when I do it with people, usually by the fifth year, sixth year at the latest, they've broken even on their costs and, and have more in cash than what they put in. Well, for him, he's put in for six years. He's only got half the cash in there. So he was mad. And so I said, hey, let's, let's do it this way instead. And when I showed him, it's like, hey, in five years, you break even. He says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do 50 grand a year instead of five grand a year. Because he's like, this is a no-brainer. So we even canceled that other policy he had, transferred the money over. It boosted his cash value even more. And, uh, and actually for him, about year four, he breaks even on his costs. So he was pretty pretty thrilled about that. And that's, I mean, at that point, you think about it, it's like your insurance costs you nothing that whole time. That's even better than buying term and investing the difference. Do you know the reason for the difference in the CV growth? Like in this particular example, I'm guessing? Yeah, I don't quite understand the question. Yeah, I mean, if it's what I think it is, I mean, the, the difference in the CV growth, at least with the way I do it, is just because I'm minim- I find different ways to minimize costs. Just so you know, insurance companies don't train you how to do this. They're all about trying to train you how to sell the typical policy because they want you to make this a long-term thing. They don't want you to, to be an investor with this money. So this is stuff I've had to learn and pick up over the last decade, really. So typically, what I've been seeing is your first year, 30% are going to go to fees. And therefore, you, whatever you put in your first year, you can take out 70% day one. Yeah. Um, how does that range in terms of like, a, let's use a extreme example of a smoker who's really out of shape, unhealthy, the lowest health level and a little older. How, how low do you see that dip for that type of profile? It, it depends. I mean, it depends on how bad it is, right? I mean, obviously the worse the health, the, the more it cuts in the ROI. But I'll tell you, and it depends how much you're funding into it too. Like this is a $10,000 a year policy on someone that's in their 40s. So um, this is not the best ROI you can get. This is actually a, a an okay ROI compared to what you can normally get. Normally, I try to get that between 75 to 80%. So if we were using the same number, 10,000, right? I would try to get to at least 7,500 to 8,000. But because it's a lower number for her age, it's not as good of an ROI. Uh, but for smokers or people that are out of shape or just you know in bad health, um, I've seen that still uh, we can at least get you know 60% plus of their money yeah, in that first much. Year. Yeah, the, the, the takeaway is it's not much. Yeah, it just, it just depends on how, you're, how we're designing it. My, my whole goal is, again, with any given situation, I always reverse engineer. I always figure out what's the max you want to put in and then figure out how we get the best ROI based on that max. That's really what I do. So it's not about like, hey, can I buy 250,000 insurance? Like, yeah, we can figure that out. But I'd rather just figure out 
well, what's, what amount of money you want to put in and how we get the biggest bang out of this so you can make this thing really sing, you know? So we had a, another question. Can you explain yeah. the death benefit in your policy increasing consistently versus the IBC increasing then decreasing? Yeah, I mean, they both do. Uh, well, I, I guess, I, no, I, yeah, so what it does, if you see it on the one on the left, it increases, and that's what whole life does. That's a nice benefit is that the death benefit grows every year. Um, and then what happens when you make it a paid up policy, which means you have no more premiums due the rest of your life, um, based on wherever the cash value is, it'll say, here's how much death benefit that you need to have to keep that cash in there, but it can still keep guaranteed to grow. So you'll see his death benefit drops down from 358 down to 158, but then it starts growing from there as well as the cash value keeps growing from there too. Mine does the same thing. I just had it done at a later date. So it started doing that after age 60, it drops a little bit in the death benefit, but then it uh, starts actually uh, hardly dropped. It dropped like 50,000. So it was hard to see, but then it kept creeping up after that. Um, I, by the way, I, I showed more years going out just because I wanted them to have more flexibility because with life insurance, you can actually, it's actually easier to ask to do less than it is to ask to do more. So if this person where she was like, well, I don't know why I did seven. That's just what the guy told me. I said, well, do you think you might want to go longer than seven? Well, maybe I'm like, well, let's leave the option open so you can, but still in my example, I could still have it cut off at year seven, just like theirs. But now they don't have to ask for permission to do more. They can just say, I want to do less. I want to stop. Uh, and then the question, how soon can I borrow money from the insurance? Uh, within the month, with certain companies. Every company has different rules, but the companies I usually use, you can usually borrow within the month. Some will make you wait a year, but I like to do it with where you can access within about a month. Another quick question, can you borrow up to your cash value throughout the life of the policy? Or you can borrow up to 95% of your cash value through the life of the policy. Yep. So you have to leave 5% in of whatever that total amount is um, just so that something goes wrong. You know, you don't pay the interest or anything like it's still got a buffer on it. So that's the main thing, but yeah, 95% of whatever's in there at any, any time there. So if you're making a 4% plus or minus a percent or two on the yield, mm -hmm. when you take a loan from it, at what interest rate ranges are you getting charged effectively? Yeah, it depends on the company. Every company's different, different dividends, different loan rates. Um, the one I use a lot, like their dividends about 6%, but their loan rates 5%. You know, so it just, just depends. Some, some are ridiculous loan rates. Like if you have a, a Guardian policy or Northwest Mutual, I love when people have Northwest Mutual because they suck. <laughs> like they, their policies are just ridiculous. And uh, so especially if you're trying to bank with them, I actually tell people not to borrow from those policies because you don't want to be paying 8% on those. Um, there are ways to go around it where you can actually borrow from other lenders. They'll give you like prime rate loans. You could borrow from them and do it that way. So there's, there's a little workaround sometimes if you have those kind of policies. And here's what I do. I mean, not, not a CPA or giving any tax advice here, but mm -hmm. I take those loans because I'm buying investments in my business. So they yeah, are taxed right off the interest. I'm writing them off. Yeah. Yeah. Just like any loan that you get, if you use a HELOC or you're using your credit card, you pay interest on that, but if it's business purposes, you can write off the interest. Yep. That's always a nice perk. Cool. All right. Should I move on lane? Yeah. For more questions come in. All right. So here's one. I get a lot of people say like, well, yeah, you do this with IUL too. 
just so you know, I used to sell IULs before they became popular. I was one of the first guys actually was, was promoting them and being big about it. Here's the thing. Here's why I don't use IULs, fish from an investor perspective. One, there's no double dipping. You do not get that compound versus simple interest effect at all. Uh, the way they work is when you take out a loan, you know, you'll take out maybe it's at 5 or 6%, but what they'll do is they'll credit you at most 5 or 6%. So they make it like at best a 0% wash loan. But if you did that, say it's $100,000 cash value you have, you borrow 50000 that 50000 you borrowed does not earn any interest. It, it basically is stagnant. The, 50, 000, the other 50000 makes interest, but this money does not. For the whole life, the full 100000 earns interest. So one, you lose out on double dipping. Two, um, costs go up over time each every, and every year on a, on a UL, any, any kind of UL policy, right? Um, they're basically renewable term insurance is what they are. It's like, it's like the old Toyota Camrys compared to a Lexus, right? The Toyota Camry is the cheap version of the Lexus, same parts, same everything. Um, and the Camry is kind of like the term insurance while the Lexus is like the, uh, the IUL or the UL policies. They're just term insurance, but the thing is the IUL, you'll pay more money for it. Um, so costs go up every year. And then two, there's no certainty. So IUL, a lot of times people say, hey, it's awesome because even if the market goes down, because you get stock market type of returns, you get, you get none of the downs, but you don't get all the ups either. You get like a floor to a ceiling. So it might be zero to 10% or zero to 11 or one to 11, something like that. Here's the problem. If say that the floor is 1%, but your insurance costs that keep going up every year are more than whatever little piddly zero or 1% you earned on those down market years, which are coming here soon, right? If that happens, you can actually lose money in those policies. So you can actually get to a point and say, oh shoot, I got to put in more money than they told me just to have any cash in here at all. It's like running out of cash, start eating itself alive. So you have to be careful of that. That was one thing that when I taught other agents how to, how to sell IULs before, that was one of the things when I looked under the hood, right? I was like, Oh yeah, that doesn't always work well, you know? So from an investor perspective, not great. I will usually use IULs for certain types of strategies or like people that are older, like maybe they're late sixties, early seventies. I might use an IUL if they just want death benefit. But for this strategy I'm talking about, I don't usually use IULs. It's primarily whole life because it's just cleaner. It's easier. Oh, here's a bonus one I didn't put in here. There's no fees where IULs and ULs have surrender fees. So you can't access the cash early on. Uh, let me show you that right here, in fact. Um, using 12000 a year going in, the left-hand side is the IUL. Right-hand side is the policy I, I was creating to do apples to apples for this person. Um, notice in the first year on the IUL, zero cash surrender value. So even though, yes, there's 4000 bucks in there, because of surrender fees, you have access to zero money in the first year. Mine, you had almost 8500 bucks in there. You know, And even that year five, they had 28000 Mine had 58,000. Um, by year 25, they had 455, almost 456. I had 591,000. Um, so not only did I have more cash, but there was more access to cash early on that allows you, again, to get that double dip effect, that compound versus simple interest. All those things, all the flexibility that people hope to have in their universal life, but you could still do it better with the whole life if it's designed the right way. And again, we're talking about index universal life, IUL. Right. And the way I explain that to people and 99% of life insurance guys don't get it. They think we're doing this for a yield because we're investors, right? They think we want yield, but this is just a means to kind of cycle money around and invest outside of this thing. 
IULs do have higher yields than um, you know their whole life policy, but you're giving up the liquidity component to be able to pull that cash value out and invest something that you know probably four or five six x's the IUL rate of return. And the problem with the IUL, once I looked under the hood, they may not get the better return anyways. They might get a less return. There's a possibility you could get a better return if you time the market just right. Like if you got one in the last ten years, you're thinking you're awesome, right? Um, but that's just be- not because of you. It's because the market did well. Um, but when the market corrects or when it would have done like what it did in the, in the 2000s, you know, the first decade there, IUL sucked. Like they just did not produce returns. You were glad you didn't lose money in the market necessarily like a VUL, a variable universal life where you get all the ups and downs. But still, it, it's, I mean, compared to the whole life policies, they were still doing worse than the whole life policies were. It's only been the last 10 years they've done better. And that's why they got more popular again, because you get all these new insurance agents in the last 10 years thinking the market only goes up, you know, so that's the problem. So um, now who is this not for? I mentioned older, you know, some people that are older or particularly if you've already retired, if you're at the point where you're just consuming cash flow, you're not building assets, it's not for you. This is really best for those that are trying to grow your assets, create an income snowball where it gets bigger and bigger, where you can start creating more and more cash flow, right? So you're trying to cycle money through. You're accumulating assets. You're accumulating cash flow. Um, for those that have already done that, they're like, hey, I'm, I'm now living on my cash flow. There's not that flow of money coming in. I'm living off every dollar. This is not for you. Or if you're paycheck to paycheck and you can't, you, you can't afford anything, it's not for you there either. Um, I had one guy today where it did make sense for him because um, he actually was max funding his 401k. He's now using this instead of the 401k. So that's now an extra 18 grand a year. He gets now put into this instead and now actually invest it however he wants. He doesn't have to be stuck in the mutual funds that Fidelity or whoever says he has to invest in, right? Um, Who is also not for people that have bad health. You know, we talked about that a little bit earlier. I have a guy that he's like a great guy, but you know, a great investor, but he's over 400 pounds. So, I mean, his rate, his rates would be ridiculous. So our workaround with him is we insured his wife. We got insurance on her instead. She was in great health, perfect health, used her and actually got great returns. I've also had people do this with their, their kids, you get a policies on the kids and they use this instead of a 529 plan because a 529 plan, you don't use it for education purposes. You'll lose. But with, uh, you know, with using this, you can use it for whatever you want. You can invest it however you want. It doesn't have to go into mutual funds like a 529 plan. You can invest it however. Hey, if they don't go to college, great. You can keep it. You can keep investing with it. You keep it for the rest of your life. Or even down the road, you can even gift it to your kids and say, hey, I know you didn't even know I had this money, but I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to turn the ownership back over to you. Now you can use it however you want. So here's your little wedding gift or here's a money for your down payment on your first house or whatever you want to give it to them. This website offers very general information right. concerning I mean that, real estate what, what for investment purposes. Every I mean, investor situation is unique. Plan, Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained here. Information is not guaranteed, as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion, and things change, and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests. You're not going to say that, right? So, yeah, I I love freedom. I love flexibility. Um, So here's ways I use this. One, I use it as an emergency fund or extra cash reserve. You know, if you're trying to build up your 
you know, your, your, your war chest or whatever, right? You're trying to get more powder, like you're talking about with the next recession. It's a great way to do it. Um, honestly, like with my wife, she keeps changing passwords on me for our savings accounts. I can't remember what they are. So I just go into my, I just go into my policy online, click print statements, save as PDF, send it to, you know, whenever I'm getting a mortgage, like I just refinanced my mortgage recently to get to a lower rate, send it to them and say, here's my cash reserves. This check next, because you can actually use life insurance, just like cash savings on a mortgage application. So you can just say, Hey, there's proof. There's money in there. Check moving on. Right. So I'll use it for that. Um, cash flowing investments. We already talked about that. Short term or cash flowing investments. This is awesome to use for that kind of stuff. Um, if you're even if you're a flipper, if you're flipping properties, I mean, awesome. Way better to use it even than a HELOC. I love using HELOCs, but I like to use those more for cash flowing, quick cash flowing investments. Where uh, if, if things like maybe it'll take a year, a half a year to a year to get paid on a deal, this is a great way to use it because you don't have to make those minimum monthly payments. They just charge you interest. You pay it back whenever. I actually had a lady recently where she said, hey, okay, I just did $125,000 investment last year, borrowed from my policy. Now I got paid back $155,000. So I made 30 grand of, of interest on this deal. She's like, should I pay off my loan or should I invest it again? Because I already know where to invest it. And I said, well, don't pay it off. I'm like, if anything, just pay off maybe the interest on it, 6,000 bucks of interest. Take that extra 150 grand now and go and invest it wherever you want. You don't have to pay it back. That's the great thing. So she did. She went and did that. Uh, collateral is another one. Collateral is awesome. Like I had a guy who was in Minnesota. He bought a commercial building for him to office in, plus rent out some office spaces, right? Um, the build out on it and everything was 375000 He said, hey, Chris, I've got 310000 in my life insurance policy. Should I just cancel the policy, just cash it all out and use that money? I was like, don't one, don't cancel it because if you're not careful, you could get taxed on some of the gains if you cancel a policy like that. But secondly, let's do this instead. Let's go to a bank and see if they'll do a line of credit using that as collateral. So basically, they'll give you a loan based on that as being your collateral there. So we went to his local credit union and said, hey, can you use my $310,000 for collateral on this $375,000 loan with build out and everything? They said, yeah. And we'll even give you a three and a quarter percent rate on it. His payment on $375,000 was only $1,800 a month which is awesome. I mean, even just the rents he was making, he was well making above and beyond his payment, right? Well, after a year and a half, he got it built out and everything. He went back to his, his bank and said, hey, now that it's built out, there's obviously value in this property. Can you take the lien off my life insurance? They said, yeah, and we'll keep the terms the same. So he still kept the super low rate of three and a quarter percent on a commercial building, still paying 1,800 bucks a month. And now he's got the 310,000 to invest however the heck he wants. So there's cool ways you can use it that way. Um, Sometimes I have people pay off loans. You know, they'll pay off credit cards with it at times. And that can increase their cash flow and, and use it that way. Um, extra retirement income. I mean, obviously you can use it down the road whenever retirement is, whether it's seven, 10 years or 20 plus years down the road, you can create extra tax-free income for yourself. And then as I mentioned, you know, kids savings is a way to use it. Yeah, so one of the questions came in, um, so how are agents incentivized? Would an agent make more or less money selling me a policy that is, is better or worse for me? Um, and I'll add in there, aren't these policies sort of like commodities? I mean, as you buy, as long as you buy it from like a top tier guys, it's pretty much how much fees do you want to pay to your dude, right? Yeah, I, it doesn't matter if you buy from the company itself or you buy it from an insurance agent, you're going to be paying fees, right? I mean, so insurance agents are paid off those insurance costs. So the reason that 
you have more cash in those first years is because I figure out how to minimize the insurance costs as much as possible, which yes, that's what I'm paid on, right? Um, most insurance agents, even if they know how to do this, they realize, in fact, I had, I had a two hour argument with the guy about whether or not you should do this strategy because he would do this, the plain old version where you'd have zero cash value for the first two years. And he would make the argument and say, yeah, but you buy more death benefit and that's the power. So I did apples, apples comparisons. I ran the numbers. I said, Hey, I'll match your death benefit and I'll still have more cash in these policies. And finally, after this debate back and forth, it came, the only reason it came down to was Chris, I just can't afford to cut my commissions like that. I was like, dude, that is the wrong answer. I can't believe I sent you referrals. Like that sucks. In fact, I stopped sending him referrals after that. This was like a decade ago, but still like, that's why most insurance agents know that if they do this, it, it cuts in their, into their commissions. But what I've learned is if you have an abundance mentality and you realize how human nature works, just like with my, my friend that owns that turnkey company, right? When he realized he would get most of his cash back, he went from doing a 5,000 a year, like a $5,600 a year policy with that one agent to doing 50,000 a year with me. Ironically, even though he's getting a much better ROI, I actually got paid double what that other insurance agent earned all because of doing the right thing for the person. But again, most insurance agents, it's their livelihood. They see the paycheck and they're afraid to cut those things back. So sometimes they'll just say, hey, I know I can do more, but maybe I'll just do in between. Maybe I'll just give you a little bit of some cash in there. Maybe you get 50 or 60% in that first year, not 70 or 80. Is it a good option for older, higher earners near the end of their work career? I know you mentioned, um, like if, you don't, if you're older, you know, there's a little bit of fees of this. So it does, there's a crossover point, right? Where it makes sense. Um, what about in this case? Yeah. This if you're getting, yeah. I had a guy, same thing. He's, he actually lives out in, in Oahu, right? He lives in Hawaii on the other end of the island where you live lane. Um, and he was, he was asking about that too. He's like, I'm, I'm looking to sell my business in two years. So, you know, what should I do? Now the thing is he had about half millions just sitting in his business checking account. I was like, well then let's not worry about so much like investing with this, although we could, his wife, especially one of that cash reserves available. So I said, why don't we move that money over the course of like three years, the next three years, move it in there and then drop it down to the bare minimum thereafter. And, uh, and then, yeah, like after the seventh year, you just make it paid up. And the truth is because there's cash value in there, he could borrow from the cash the month before the payments due, put it in. And the cool thing is when you put the money in, it goes right back into cash anyways. So you borrow it to just put it right back in your account again. It's kind of fun. So there's ways you could do it that way, but it just depends on the situation. Um, there's another strategy that I talk about here with like an infinite ROI. Um, this works especially great if you're in your 50s or younger, but if you're older, this could be one way where you get the banks to pay the premiums for you. There are ways to do that too. So there's, there's different ways you can do it. Uh, another situation where I think this is a really good idea is like, you know, you get one of these investors that have been working for quite a while. They have a pretty good net, um, net worth 500 or actually a million or 2 million or above. Uh -huh. And they've been investing in the whole 401k nonsense for their whole life. And they finally read this purple book and they understand they need to go into deals and buy rentals or syndications. Uh -huh. But I'm like, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't like, you just started learning about this stuff. You should slow down. Don't think you're going to invest half a million dollars in the next six months or a year. Yeah. Maybe throw 50, a hundred grand a year into this just to slow you down. <laughs> you know, you've been sleeping for two decades. 
you know, yeah. this is this is a good way of just, you know, doing something to slow you down and to build up these cash reserves and to get your money, maybe not making 10, 15%, but certainly five. Yeah, you could, you absolutely could. I mean, like I've had people that said, you know what, I just want to use this as a way to diversify my money in different places, right? You know, just have extra cash reserves. I mean, my wife, for example, she's like, Chris, I want minimum 120,000 in cash that you cannot touch. And so I'm like, well, I don't want to be keeping that in, you know, my bank account earning 0.1.2% or even an online savings account earning maybe one or 2% and getting taxed on it. So I told her, I was like, all right, great. I'll keep two thirds of those reserves in the life insurance. The other third, we keep in local banks or whatever and online savings. Then anything above and beyond that, I invest, you know, I can use that money to invest it however I want and generate more cash flow. you know? So there's, that's a cool thing is that really your, your, it's really your, your uh, imagination. That's the limit here. What is the net worth threshold be for retired people where this makes sense? You know, it really, it, the way, how I do this particular strategy, this one here that we've talked about, uh, net worth really doesn't matter. Um, it's really based on cash flow, right? It's based on how you're flowing and accumulating money. If, if you're not in the place where you're accumulating assets anymore and trying to build more assets, you know, maybe we don't use a strategy. Maybe we use like, you know, the, the bank financing strategy that I talked about earlier, you know, this infinite ROI thing, you know? Um, but no, I mean, like, it, it just depends on where you're at. I mean, it, there is no net worth thing. It's all based on flow of money. How, you know, what kind of money do we want to flow through this thing? And in fact, if your whole thing is, I just want a death benefit. Okay, well, maybe we just focus on a death benefit. We don't try to add more cash to it because that's what we're doing is we're just overfunding these policies. You could do minimal funding of these policies too. So you can, just depends on what you're trying to achieve with that. Got a good question here. People are getting creative. So they're asking, is the dividend that you're making that the insurance company's paying you more than the interest you're paying in the loan typically? Because then why not put all your money in here and put it in, and putting it in savings? You know, that's a great question. I mean, if you do it like the way I teach you to do it, then yes. I mean, like it will definitely create that arbitrage effect, you know, if you're paying it down. Now, here's the thing is that a lot of companies, they'll, they'll always have like some sort of spread, right? Like I know one company, they'll say, hey, you know, if you borrow at 5% of that money, well, instead of paying you 6%, we'll pay you on that portion of money, 4.35. And as you pay the loan down, you get more of the 6% instead of 4.35, you know? So there's a little bit of spread. They, at best, sometimes they'll make it just five and five, right? Sometimes it'll be like five and five even. So it just depends. Um, again, you know, you wouldn't just throw all the money in and just borrow from it and never pay it back. I mean, you could do that. That's totally, it totally works. But, um, but it doesn't quite get that extra compound effect that I talk about where you get that acceleration of money. So uh, the way to do it is definitely if you can pay at least the interest only payment or more, that's when you create that little extra double arbitrage there. And I, and I think you have to think, you can't just think of in terms of interest rate. And uh -huh. even if it is tax-free and you're, you're considering it a business cost, yeah. Remember, you're taking um, a loan, you're taking, you're paying some fees out of it too. So you have to account for that. So it's a two phase math equation. Mm -hmm. Back out the fees and then figure out the percentage as you move through the, the time horizon. One, two, three, four, five, 15 years, 10 years, 20 years. It's not impossible to figure out on your own when the crossover point is. Yeah. Yeah, it's, good. it's a good point because there's no f extra fees when you take out a loan. Like some people say, okay, do they charge you extra costs? No, they just charge you interest. There's no, it's not like a HELOC where they pay, you pay 300 or 500 bucks to do the loan. It's not like that. It's just pure interest. 
but there are insurance costs that, that obviously you have, especially in those first two years. And so I had a guy, he said, he's like, he was an investor. He said, Hey, Chris, I've got 80,000 bucks and I want to invest it, but I want to run it through your policy. How should I do it? How should I structure it? And I said, well, how much of the money are you trying to invest with and how soon? He said, well, in the next two months, I'll need 70,000 of that 80,000. I said, well, I'm not going to tell you to dump in all 80,000 the policy because you may only have about 60,000 available to use. So instead, let's, in, let's just have you do 36,000 the policy. So then you have about 30,000 or so available and then keep your other 44,000 in cash. And between the two, you'll have enough to do the investment. So, you know, I always have to tell people, it's like, no, it's not just like, you know, savings account, you're just putting the money in and then you just pull the money right back out. There is initial, especially in those first two years, there are some costs, but once you get past that, I mean, the costs are way more than worth it uh, up front to be able to create the benefits you create year after year after year with those tax-free returns. Yeah. I mean, and the goal is for like a high net worth investor, one, $2 million and above, is that you want a little slush account. You want to know where you can go and grab fifty, two hundred $200,000 in case somebody steals your kid and you need to pay ransom money or a good deal comes up that liquidity is nice to make a little yield on it that otherwise you wouldn't make even 1%. And yeah. it's a, a good benefit to have that. Obviously there's a cost to that, right? So mm-hmm. you have to weigh their costs. Everybody is a little different. If you guys have any more questions, um, type it into the chat now. Pretty much at the end of our time right now. I don't, I don't want to cut too much in your guys' networking time and stuff. If you want, I can show you that one more thing about the infinite ROI really quick. Yeah, go ahead. So yeah, this this is, like I mentioned, like bank actually financing it for you. The bank does it all for you that way. Now, here's the prerequisite. You have to have a net worth of at least $2.5 million. And that's, and that's not like a credited investor net worth, right? This is like net worth including all your business value, which is always debatable. You can usually, most people undervalue their businesses from what they actually are valued at. Um, home equity, all of this counts. But if you have a net worth of at least two and a half million, uh, five million if you're over the age of 50, but if you have a net worth of at least two and a half million, you can get the bank to pay your policy for you. So think of this as a separate strategy. The first thing I taught you was short term. This is like the first one with the infinite banking. This is all about how to create cash flow now and invest now. Think of this as like this infinite return pension plan in about 20 years. Um, not to mention uh, banks paying your death benefit for you so you don't have to pay it yourself, right? This is great for legacy planning too, even if you're older. So banks pay the premiums for you. They pay the full premium. The cool thing is after about 20 years, this, you can start drawing an income of anywhere from like 50 to 500,000 or more a year, depending on your situation. Um, so what happens is the bank pays your premiums. They, they charge you at LIBOR interest rates and they'll pay you those premiums for 15 years, right? They're charging you those interest. And then after that, what you want to have happen, because of course in the beginning, Cash value is less, you know, while premiums are higher. But eventually what happens is the cash value catches up and surpasses the interest. You're basically creating arbitrage off their money because LIBOR right now is charging like 3.7%. But if you're earning 5 6%, who gives care? Who cares? I mean, we're going to start passing them up, right? So after those 15 years, now you've got extra cash in there. You could pay off the bank and all the leftover cash is yours to use for your own income. So I just kind of show you a quick spreadsheet on an example of one of my clients. You know, here, the bank was putting in that 364000 So they're putting that in every year for 15 years. And uh, we just kind of proje- we projected the LIBOR rate. We put it at the current rate, but we kept jacking it up every year just to be conservative, right? Because 
We don't know. LIBOR rates could stay low and it would be great. It could be way better than this. But we just want to see what would happen if they did increase the rates over those years. And so they charge you the rate. You can see the end of year loan balance in year one. They charge about 30 grand of interest. So you have 394,000. Your cash value is only about 170,000. So you get it, you have this, you're upside down about 235 grand, right? The cool thing is your death benefit, even after the loans paid off, if you were happen to die during these years, your death benefit's over 9 million, almost 10 million bucks. Now, as time goes on, now you see like at the year 19 or year 20, they pay off the loan, right? The loan was like $10 million. You had 11 million. It gets paid off. Now you're left with that little column E there, $1 million. And plus you got a $7 million death benefit. So now you've, you just had leveraged the bank to use all the money. You put in none of your own money. You paid them off. Now you've got a million bucks and $7 million death benefit. And you start pulling off about 182,000 a year in income. So it's definitely not a short-term strategy, but for, for the right situation, especially if you're a higher net worth, this could be an awesome additional strategy that you use to say, hey, I wouldn't mind extra cash flow in 20 years from now and essentially pay nothing for it. You know, that would be cool. So for the people, for the people who are like, well, that sounds too good to be true. Like how does, how can the bank, how do the banks do that? Well, they know that they're going to get the interest back anyways. Um, For example, when you're upside down, they want some sort of collateral. So whether it's like a letter of credit from your bank or the bank says, yeah, we'll, we'll create a line of credit for you that will cover that in case something happens. Like if uh, you decide to cancel the policy, then that'll cover their butts. You know, you give the bank their money back with the interest and everything. Um, that's, I'd say that's the one negative from an investor perspective is, yeah, I mean, you, you got to have some collateral, some skin in the game there. But like I said, you can get a line of credit that can cover that from your bank, or you can even use like brokerage accounts. You know, if you got money sitting in savings, you got brokerage accounts, you got money sitting there in savings anyways, you can use that as your collateral. And then the banks say, okay, cool. We'll loan the money. As long as we know we can get our money back, that's what matters. There are, I posted a couple of links, simplepassivecashflow.com slash bank. Mm-hmm. where I have sort of a user manual. Um, how do you use this? Actually, it's just for my own personal need because every time I need to withdraw money, I forget how I'm supposed to do it. Uh-huh. So I wrote like a, a, how I do it in there. And so you guys can kind of read up on that. And um, I even cut and, cut and paste the exact verbiage I do to send them an email <laughs> to do this. And um, it talks about the flex paid off writer, which is a little complicated I don't know if we, we should go over it in this this webinar, but there's I did a little write-up in there about that and a whole bunch of other uh, information. And also simplepassivecashflow.com slash OFUND, how I use this banking instrument in my whole investing scheme. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to talk about that necessarily. I mean, that's just, I mean, simply put, that's just us putting in more money than what's required, right? And putting in extra cash. Um, yeah, kind of go with your point, like getting out the money, I just tell people, shoot me an email. You know, if it's less than 50,000 bucks, you can shoot me an email. I can forward that email to the company and then they'll either one, mail you a check or two, direct deposit into your account, usually within a week to a week and a half. So it takes about a week to a week and a half to get your money. Um, if it's over 50,000, then I send you a little form, say sign here saying, yes, it's me. I want this much money out. Super easy. And I get forward it to the company. So it's really an easy process. Like if you want to get access to the money. The cool thing is it's not too easy, like a, like a checking account or something like that, where you can, on a whim, just pull the money out and blow it, right? You got to think about it a little bit. So that's one thing that kind of adds a little extra level of safety for some people. So, so we'll kind of close this out for, um, with this question. 
-hmm. you know, so this all sounds really cool. Um, how do you suggest shopping around at insurance companies? There's a, there's a guy here who has an application open, like, like the fees are, unless you get that side by side, right? It's hard to compare. It is. Yeah. You want to get apples to apples for sure. Um, one, find an independent broker that helps. I, I'm one of those brokers, obviously. Like I'm a guy that designs them and actually writes them up. And I work with several different companies. Um, and usually I'll try to go with the one company or whatever that might be the best for your given situation. But you know what I do? I always invite people. I'm like, shop me around if you want. Like seriously, like find an apples to apples. If anybody can beat me, please show it to me. Because I would love to know how they did it. Because the truth is, is that even when people do IULs, I still come out better than the IULs. And that's even with non-guaranteed returns of whatever they think the stock market might be, right? That's, there's not even a guarantee on that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, shut. I, I love it when people say, hey, here's what I got from this other guy. It's like, cool, I'll beat it. You know, we're best, the best I've ever seen somebody do is match me because they knew exactly how to do what I did with the same exact company. But even when they've used the same companies, I usually always beat those people too. There's this information there. Um, what is, what is your email? Get your email, Chris. And then if, if you guys don't get it, you guys can always email me. I'll forge it off to Chris. But. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to email me, just shoot me an email, Chris. So just like C-H-R-I-S at moneyripples.com. Just like you see there on the screen. Do not put in money nipples. I did have a, a, some guy that interviewed me. It's like moneynipples.com. I love it. It's like. I am not that kind of company. I promise you not that kind of cash, you know, money ripples. Yeah. So there you go. No space. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this, uh, we're going to take a networking break. So I am going to split you guys up magically into six groups. And, um, this is the, uh, free form area where I'm going to set the clock for about seven minutes. So you guys can chit chat a little bit. Your network is your net worth. We do this on our mastermind calls. So if you guys are interested in joining the mastermind, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey.